today, I want to talk about how God is present from within us, how God has revealed himself to us from within and specifically looking at the Holy Spirit. And as we devote our time to looking at the Holy Spirit, I I just want to reference that the Holy Spirit is very, very complex and we often make it more difficult than I think God intended the Spirit to be. And, and who the Holy Spirit is. I think that of the Trinity, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is probably the one we know the least about. It's certainly the one we talk the least about. And it is the piece of that Trinity that we tend to overlook. And church, I think that's a mistake because I think we have a God who wants to be so present with us. And I think the Spirit, I know that the Spirit is a way that God is revealing himself to us now and always. So as we look at who God is and we look at the spirit this morning, I wanted to say thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of uh, being able to serve alongside you all. But thank you also for the ways that I have seen our church allow the spirit to work. I think when we look and we see that everything points to our God who loves, everything points to helping people follow Jesus. The spirit is such an intricate and active part of that walk. It needs to be in full control. We walk in step with the spirit. And because of that, all things point to Christ. And as we prepare for next week where we look at Jesus's life and as we celebrate the birth of Jesus on Christmas, again, we hope you'll join us for those services for one of those, be able to join us as we celebrate that. I I don't want us to get fooled into thinking everything points to Jesus. And so next week we celebrate Jesus and then we go back to our lives. But we have an opportunity to walk with a spirit in our lives who gives us insight and guides our steps so that everything in our lives from that point forward is pointed to Jesus all the same. So a few things that I think are important that we know about the Holy Spirit before we get too far ahead of ourselves in this conversation. Number one, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. I think a lot of us have allowed this misconception to become true that the Holy Spirit is like this divine sidekick that only certain people get. It's become this Robin to our Batman. Like we get to go about our lives and if you're really, really good, if you're perfect, then you can have the Holy Spirit in your life as well, who will be there to assist you whenever you need him. But the reality is that that's not who the Holy Spirit is. I grew up in this uh, smaller Presbyterian church in Louisville, Kentucky before I uh, moved into a different church and they didn't say Holy Spirit. They said the Holy Ghost, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard or are familiar with. And here's what I pictured as a kid every time somebody would say the Holy Ghost. Uh, because I had no understanding of what that actually meant. The idea of a Holy Spirit or a Holy Ghost was so complex to me that I applied to that the only real ghost I had ever seen at the time, which was this guy on Super Mario. And I thought, yeah, that, that makes sense. So I guess when I need something, that ghost can just be around and can help. And I think a lot of us have probably felt that way. We feel like, well, the Spirit is just kind of there. And sometimes the spirit will act or talk or give us wisdom on something we should say. But I think the challenge for us this morning, I think something that is so important in this season especially, is that we give more credit to what the spirit is doing and how active the Holy Spirit is. Because it's not some cartoon, it's not some some sidekick, it's not a utility belt that has all the things you need when you need it. The Holy Spirit is a gift from the Trinity to us, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it is part of God's ultimate desire. A few weeks ago, we talked about God's ultimate desire for our lives, and we talked about Jesus, and I believe that it is extremely true. I think the gospel and the good news is that Jesus came and died 
and was resurrected so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life and will get to be in the presence of God. I believe that is true. Do I believe that Jesus is God's ultimate desire for us? No, but I do believe that Jesus is the way back to God's ultimate desire. And I believe God's ultimate desire is to be present with his creation. God wants a relationship with you and with me. And Jesus is the way back to that. Jesus is the way to that because God wants to be present with us. And I believe that the spirit is God's way of dwelling within us and being with us. So is our role to always know what the Spirit is doing and when and have a clear answer and understanding of the Spirit. No, I think it's complex. And church, I don't think you should feel bad or I should feel bad if we don't understand every single aspect of how our God works. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. It's not always our job to understand exactly what the Spirit is doing and how the Spirit is moving. It is our responsibility to know what we should do in light of the Spirit. If God has done his part and has sent a spirit to be with us, our part is to understand our role within that. This brings us to the second thing I think we should know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within those who follow Christ. Remember, the Holy Spirit is God. And where God dwells has always been a massive topic of conversation all through the Old Testament and through the life of Jesus and so on. Still today, I think there's a lot of us who have probably asked the question, whether we said it out loud or to ourselves, God, where are you? In the middle of hardship, as we have watched the news, if we've seen things unfold in the world that are evil and are unjust, I'm sure a lot of us have asked this question, God, where are you? Where is God in all this? What is he doing? God's dwelling, where God is, has always been a topic of conversation. Recently, over the past few months, our 7th and 8th grade students, as well as our high school students, have been going through the book of Exodus on Sunday mornings and at our Sunday night study on Sunday nights. And recently, we talked through, in our 7th and 8th grade class, the tabernacle. And what is the tabernacle as we've gone through Exodus? The word tabernacle means dwelling. You can see a picture on the screen behind me of the tabernacle. So what we did is we had our 7th and 8th grade students each take a different aspect of the tabernacle and share with the class what that means, why they did it, why it was a part of it. And I want to share with you a few very important things about this tabernacle. Because as we ask the question, God, where are you? As we look at the spirit that dwells within us, I think it's important to know where God used to dwell overall. Where God was was always incredibly important. So before Jesus, back in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, we see this tabernacle or the place where God dwells. And this is a structure that God commanded his people to build so he would have a place to dwell among his people. And it was very, very intentional. The structure was built very specifically. And there's a lot of important things. If you have the time later on, I think it's important that you go and read about the tabernacle. I think you'll find a lot of interesting things about God and how he interacts with his People. But here's what I want us to notice this morning. Where God would dwell is in the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. You can see it on the far left of this screen. That is where God would dwell. Very, very few people, only specific high priests, would be able to go from the courtyard outside through the holy place and then into the Holy of Holies where God was dwelling. That was not available to just anyone. It was available to very, very few people. And even to the people it was available to, to go into the place where God was, 
You would have to make sacrifices. You would have to cleanse yourself. You would have to go to the menorah and the table of showbread. You would have to participate in a lot of different practices and steps in a very specific order. The thing that you and I or anyone would have to do to be in the presence of God was an incredibly long list. And it was really, really difficult. Not just anyone could do it. It wasn't freely accessible. God was in a fortress that was really hard to get into. And specifically, if you look at the veil, the veil is what separates the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. The veil is where God is being separated from the Holy Place where he is and where everybody else is. And when I say the veil, a lot of us tend to think of like a bride will wear a veil. It's that cloth that you can kind of even see through. And it's meant to be the barrier between something holy and something that isn't. And the specific thing about this veil is it's not like that. It's not like you can kind of see through it and maybe even see God hanging out in the Holy of Holies. It wasn't like that. Instead, this, this veil is a curtain, which certain people, certain people within that, um, God's people in Israel, they would be working all year long, sewing and putting this together. It was about four feet thick, just this curtain. It was massive. It was heavy. It took years and years to create and they would test the strength of this veil, of this curtain, by they would, they would have two large horses, and they would attach the two horses to each side of this veil, and they would send the horses running at full speed in different directions to see if the veil would tear. Because if the veil would tear, it wasn't strong enough. So once those horses were able to pull it and it wouldn't tear, then the veil was able to be strong enough to separate where God dwells from his people. And that is how things were, That is how we were present with God until Jesus enters the physical picture. Jesus comes to earth. He's born. He lives a life. There's a lot more to it. You should read about it. We'll talk about it too. But he goes to the cross. And this is Matthew 27, verse 50 through 51. This shows the moment when Jesus died on the cross. It says, and when Jesus had died, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split. The veil was torn. Horses couldn't do it. People couldn't do it. It was way too difficult. It was built to not tear. But when Jesus went to the cross, the thing that was separating God's presence from us was torn top to bottom. The rock split, the world split, everything changed when Jesus came, meaning the way that you and I can dwell with God changed when Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was the bridge back to community with God. So before Jesus, specific people, not everybody would have to do so many specific things and cleansings and sacrifices to be in God's presence. But Jesus, when we put our faith in him and we believe that he is exactly who he says he is. We then have access to a spirit and to a presence with God that we have never had before. We are unworthy to be in the presence of God. I think a lot of us might say that, and you're right. We are unworthy to be in the presence of God. But Jesus has made us worthy to be in the presence of God. So much so that God sent his spirit to live within those who follow Jesus and say that's true. And so if you're wondering right now, how come I don't see God? Where is God? Well, God used to dwell in a place where it was very difficult to get to him. But our God loved us so much that he sent his one only son to die. That whoever believes in him 
will not perish but have eternal life and can immediately start living in the presence of a spirit. And that is a gift, church. That is a massive gift. That is a massive shift. Jesus changes everything because now we get to be present with our God. But something that's been convicting to me that I want to share with you this morning is why do we still then ask the question? Why do I still ask the question, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, where, I don't see you. Or we tend to use language like, I felt far from God for so long. Or I haven't felt like I've known God in years. We talk like that, like God is so distant in times of trouble. And yet we live in a, in a culture and in a church and in a space that can so freely worship our God. Everything Jesus did made the Spirit accessible to us. And even though we live in a world where we have access to the Spirit more than any other place in the world, we tend to ask ourselves where God is. So it begs the question, if God has done his part, maybe we're not doing ours. Maybe I'm not doing mine. Because if God is so present and I live in a place, in a world, in a time where I am able to be present with God and yet I don't see his presence, is it possible, church, that God is not the problem? Is it possible that it is the way we are posturing ourselves? The Holy Spirit dwells in those who follow Christ. And that's a decision we make every single day. Third thing we know for sure about the Holy Spirit, and Scripture supports this time and time again, is that the Holy Spirit works within us. The Holy Spirit is always at work within us. Paul says in Galatians 5, 16 through 18, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Your flesh and the spirit, us on our own and our God who wants to be present with us, our nature is different. It doesn't line up exactly as it should. They're in conflict with one another. Verse 18 says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. I want to make sure we understand what that means in context, because if you get pulled over on the way home for going 40 and a 20 or whatever it is, and the cop comes and knocks on your window and you say, don't worry, I'm under the spirit, not the law, you're going to get in trouble. That's, that's not what this text means. This passage does not mean because we're followers of Christ that we get to do whatever we want and we don't respond to any rules. The law that Paul is referring to is much like we just talked about with the tabernacle, the law of the Old Testament, where there were a lot of things we had to do to be present with the Spirit. But now we're under the law of the Spirit. We're not under the law of you have to make sacrifices and cleanse and be perfect and prepare yourself in order to interact with God. We're not under that law anymore. Now we're under the Spirit because the Spirit is free in the world and dwelling in the hearts of those who follow Christ. We don't need to do all those things anymore, and that's not a small thing. Yet... We still act like it's so much work for us to see the Spirit at work in our lives. And I think that is an entitlement issue that we have in our culture and in our hearts. I think that's a pride issue that we have in our heart and in our culture. And I think it is in our church, I think it is in all churches, this idea that our God has to deliver more than he already has delivered for us. And I think that it is, it's about time that we say, maybe it's not on God anymore. Maybe it's on us. And what do we need to do differently? 
Because if God is present in creation and God is present with the spirit, but I don't feel present with God, I don't think we are any longer able to say, well, maybe God is doing something wrong or maybe I'm perfect. I think it's called a change. Because we are made of our flesh. We are living in our flesh. The root of our lives is the flesh. It is not the spirit. The spirit is a choice. The flesh is who you are. Galatians 5 goes on to say that when we're walking in the flesh, our fruit, the things that you'll see in our lives, if we allow our flesh to be the root of who we are, the things you'll see are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And I know that we hear that list and we think that's a lot of horrible things. I don't do that. Look at the definition of each one of those things. I promise you, we all fall in one or more of those. Because when we're walking with the spirit, our fruit shows differently. But the spirit of the flesh, our flesh, our own power, the things we bring to the table are all the things I just said. But the spirit brings out something different in us because the spirit is always at work within us. It goes on to say that the fruit of the spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So here's who the spirit is. The spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God who is present within us in our hearts. The second thing we read is that the spirit dwells within those who follow Christ. And that spirit is at work within us. So once again, like we talked about a few weeks ago, God did his part being present with us in creation and with the spirit. So what is our responsibility, church? What should we do? If all of that is true, how can we go one more day walking outside of God's presence or wondering where he is? First, let me address those of us who have already accepted the spirit into our lives. Just because we have done that, just because we have put our faith in Jesus through baptism and through repentance doesn't mean that we are always walking in line with the spirit. That's just not what it means. Just because we've claimed the spirit doesn't mean we're allowing the spirit to be present every single day in our lives to those around us, to our families, to ourselves. Is the spirit really in charge or have we just been baptized and accepted that spirit and then turned away? Because having the spirit in our lives is not having a Robin to our Batman. It's saying, God, you are in charge and I'm going to walk in line with you first. I think a lot of us get that backwards. If we look back in the text in Galatians that we just read, like I said, it goes on to talk about what the fruit of the spirit is. If I walked into this room this morning and I just asked the question, what is the spirit like? What's the Holy Spirit like? Because we've talked a little about who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God. But, but what is the Spirit like? How would you describe the Spirit to somebody? I think a lot of us would be quick to go to this text in Galatians and say, well, the Spirit is loving and joyful and peaceful and faithful and kind and gentle and generous. And we would go through that list. But the reality, church, is that those things, the fruit of the Spirit, they don't describe what the Spirit is like. They describe what you and I are like when the Spirit is at work within us freely. They aren't saying the spirit is loving and kind. It's saying, if you walk in line with the spirit, here's what you're going to see in your life. If you're walking in line with the spirit, you're going to see love, joy, patience, kindness. You're going to see all of those things. But the hard part is that's not what comes naturally to you and to me. And that is sin. 
And that is the brokenness of a broken world. And you see it everywhere you go because the natural thing is not the fruit of the spirit. The spirit working through our hearts and through the hearts of the world is not the expectation you and I have when we walk through our lives. Instead, we see the reality of the flesh at work in our natural state. We're selfish and indulgent. The fruit of the spirit is just that. It's his fruit. It is the things he is capable of. It comes from walking with him. And allowing him to be the one in charge. So many of us have put our faith in Jesus. So few of us have let Jesus be in charge. Have let that spirit lead where we walk. Sometimes we say the spirit led us to something when really that was just something we wanted to do. We give credit when it was us all along and we don't give credit when the spirit is actually at work. John 15, 4 reminds us that we cannot bear fruit ourselves. We don't bring anything to the table. We don't bear the fruit unless we abide in the vine. Jesus is the vine and our father is the vine dresser. When we abide in Jesus, we will bear much fruit and that fruit will be of the spirit. It will not be our own. So what does it mean for you and I who have experienced the spirit in our lives or who've been baptized? Means we, the good news is we have a frame of reference. Like we, we have a starting point. We have the ability to see if the spirit is truly working in and through us, if we're allowing the spirit to do that. Because when we do that, we'll be able to see love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We'll see those things when we're allowing the spirit to work through us. But the reality is our flesh wages war against the spirit. Paul says that they are, they're in conflict with one another. And just as pestilence, drought, and heat wage war against a healthy plant in nature, we too must pay attention to the fruit that we're bearing. If we notice something rotten, if we notice something that's not the fruit of the Spirit but is the fruit of the flesh, we need to make adjustments. We need to ask God to fertilize, prune, protect, and water us with His Spirit and His Word once again every single day so that our fruit will once again be of Him. So many times we do something where we show patience or we do something that's kind. You have a lot of people who have been kind to you. I'm sure you have been kind to people as well. Or maybe you have a spouse who is loving and generous and kind to you. I'm sure you've seen time where that isn't their fruit of the spirit. I'm sure you've seen times when their flesh comes out as well and you see the conflict in the people around you. But we are very, very quick to ask God where he is when things are going wrong. We're very quick to say, God, where are you? But when things are going right, when we see the fruits of the spirit, we see somebody who is joyful. We see somebody who is generous or kind or faithful or patient. I think very, very few times are we looking at that and saying, God is doing something in you. We're very quick to take the credit when we do one of those things. We make it an attribute that's true about ourselves and not the spirit that is living through us. So how much can our perspective change when we see something in ourselves and we recognize it's not ourselves, it is our God at work, is our spirit at work? How much more can we understand the spirit if we acknowledge when he is there and how much less angry can we get when we don't know where he is because we've seen him at work? But we don't always, we don't always give him the credit. We give him the credit when things aren't good. We say, well, I don't know what God's doing. But when things are good... We're saying, well, we're doing a really great job. I think that's wrong. So we have to posture ourselves in a way where we're ready to hear the spirit. And that's very difficult to do. 
It's very difficult to know how to work with the Spirit, and I don't, I don't claim to know exactly how, but here's what I think it's like. I read about this new development. It's called hypersonic sound. And the inventor, his name is Elwood Norris, he engineered these sound waves to travel like a laser beam. They go about 150 yards. And the way it works is if you are standing in line of that laser beam, of that specific sound beam, then you're going to be able to hear everything. So you could be listening to music or hearing instructions from 150 yards away, and people directly to your left and to your right wouldn't be able to hear it. Only you could, because you're in the perfect position to hear it. But all you need to do is take one small step to the left or to the right, and suddenly you are unable to to hear that sound wave anymore. You, You aren't listening anymore. I think God's communication with us through his spirit is very similar to this. We often make it all about God being present or not being present, and we don't make it about our posture. We don't make it about our preparedness to hear and listen, our willingness to walk in line with the Spirit. We say God's not there, and we say it from 10 miles away from where God wants us to be or from where God has invited you and I to be. We say, I know God called me to be over there, but I'm going to be over here. And while you're over here, you're like, well, I don't know what God's doing. It's ridiculous when we say it like that, but it's what we do every day. It's what we do all the time. So much, God is present with us, and we're just out of posture. And then we wonder what he's doing wrong. He's not. We are. I've used this quote from Mark Christian before. I love it. I think it applies today more than ever. When we give God a shot at our heart, we serve a God who will not miss. When we give God a clear shot at our heart, we serve a God who will not miss. So it's not on him. It's about if we are actually giving him a shot. Are we posturing ourselves in a way to let the spirit move? Our job is to posture ourselves in the way the spirit has a clear line that's speaking to us and guiding us. It's, it's posturing ourselves in a way where we lay down before our God and say, you are in charge and I am not. It's about humility and posture. It's not about location and presence. And if we're not present with God, if we're not where he is, if we're not seeking him out, Who are we to be frustrated when we don't know where he is? When you are baptized, you make Jesus the savior of your life. And then every day after that, you wake up and you make him your Lord. So when you're baptized, you say you accept him as your Lord and your savior. I think a lot of people in here have made Jesus their savior, but not a lot of us every single day turn over and say, you're the Lord of my life. You're in charge. You call the shots. That's a power we don't like to let go of. That's a pride we don't like to lay down. That's a humility we don't like to pick up. Say, God, your ways are higher than mine. I'm going to follow you. Instead, we have this Holy Spirit that intercedes on our behalf. But instead, we don't treat it like that. We have a Holy Spirit that intercedes whenever we call upon it too. But the Holy Spirit is God and God calls the shots. And so if today you've made Jesus your savior, but you need to look at making him Lord and posturing yourself every single day, On the other side of that obedience, on the other side of saying every morning, just wake up and say this prayer, God, you're in charge. I'm not. Will you guide my steps today? Try that for a week. Try it for two weeks. Try it for a month. I promise you, keep wanting to try it because you're going to see on the other side of that obedience, a presence with God you never knew before just because you're changing your posture. The basic Sunday school answer to this, well, how do I know where God is? You got to pray and you got to read your Bible. They're basic Sunday school answers because they're right. If you're not in the word, if you're not seeking God, if you're not actively praying and you're wondering, God, where are you? That doesn't make a lot of sense. So we have to posture ourselves and we have to do the work. 
Because on the other side of this, when we let the Spirit flow through us, when we are walking in line with the Spirit, things change. We see a power on the other side that we didn't know before. And church, when every single person, when the church has individuals who are letting the Spirit work, all of a sudden you have a church that is walking in line with the Spirit. And the things that God can do through a unified church that is walking in line with the Holy Spirit is things that you and I will never be able to come up with or draw up right now. The power we'll see for our students and our kids, for your families, for our community, for our world. The things our church can do if we get on board together with what the Spirit is doing is next level. So if you're wondering, I don't know where God is, change your posture. We have to change our posture. Because church, I believe when we, have, when we change our posture, when you support the ministries of the church, not Wellspring overall, when we walk in line with the work that God is doing, when we say yes to the spirit that is leading us to give, leading us to serve, leading us to move, when we walk in line with that, on the other side of that obedience, we will see God present in our community more than ever before, in our lives more than ever before, in your family more than ever before. And try it. Because going one more day angry at God because you don't know where he is when you're not looking for him, that won't work. I think you've seen that it doesn't work. I know I have. And we have to change. Maybe you have accepted Jesus as Lord, but you've never made the decision to be baptized. You've never for the very first time said, God, I need you to be in charge because I shouldn't be in charge anymore. You say, God, I want to follow in step with you. If you need to make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please come find me after service and we can have a conversation about that because our God wants desperately to be present with you and in baptism and following Jesus we have a spirit who was given to us that we get to follow in step with every day our God is present with us and I'll make clear his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts I don't know exactly what the spirit's going to do and when I don't speak for the spirit I don't speak for God I'm sure he can work in and through many different areas of life. I won't say that he won't. What I will say is when I look at scripture, I see very clearly that when we follow Christ through baptism and when we're obedient, we see the spirit present in our lives on the other side of that. And so if you need that and you've never experienced that, let's talk about it today. Because a lot of us get into this mindset, especially as we think of the spirit. And I'll close with this. We often think about the spirit being God and present. And we look at our lives and we say, we're not worthy for it. My life's too messy. My heart's too broken to start walking with the spirit today. He doesn't want anything to do with me. Yeah, you're right. Your heart is broken and dark and you have sin and it's tangled up in your heart. It's tangled up in my heart. But Jesus Christ came to bridge that gap so the spirit could live within you. He tore the veil so the spirit is no longer confined to a space that calls you to action. But all you have to do is walk in line with the spirit and say yes. And God will do the rest. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Not with the Holy Spirit, not in addition to the Holy Spirit, but by the Holy Spirit. So church, you don't have to be cleansed for the Holy Spirit to be in your heart. The Holy Spirit is what does the cleansing. So many of us live our lives like we have to put our faith in Jesus when we are good enough to do so. We have to be baptized when I'm good enough. I'm not ready. I think a lot of us, I've heard students say this, I've heard you say this. Well, I'm not ready for baptism. I'm not good enough yet. That's why we have baptism. It is the cleansing. 
Because church, if we had to be perfect to follow Jesus, he wouldn't have any followers. That's not our job. Our job is to turn over our obedience to our father and walk in line with him. Following Jesus is how we can be present with God. And if you need to follow Jesus for the first time today, come find me and we'll talk about that. Or if you have made Jesus your savior, but you have postured yourself far outside making him Lord and you need to every day wake up and say, God, you're calling the shots. I'm happy to have a conversation with you about what that looks like, what it means to walk in obedience, what it means to say yes or join you in prayer, whatever we can do to help. We want to walk alongside you in that. You're never alone because again, when the church does this together on the other side of not just your independent obedience, but the obedience of a whole church of people, of God's church, everything will point to Jesus in the end. And we get to be a small part of that process on the way. And church, that is a gift that I don't want any of us to miss for one more minute. Pray with me. God, I thank you this morning for this church, for your church overall, but for Wellspring is a place where we get to see your timing and your work and your faithfulness and your goodness all through where we've been. God, would you help us this morning walk in line with you? Father, I pray for the individuals in this room or who are listening online who have not made the decision to follow you. I pray that you would help them see that following you is the way to be present with our creator and that's such a gift. God, would you give them boldness and courage this morning to to step forward and have that conversation with somebody. God, I pray that you would help all of us submit to your spirit. God, you are in charge. You call the shots. And on the other side of your spirit, we'll find a faithfulness and a power and a presence with a God that far surpasses everything we've known. You surprise us again and again and again. And we cannot wait to see what you'll do in our church. Because you have been good and you'll continue to be good. And we're excited to be a part of it and join in. Lord, we love you. Amen.